You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. We'll go ahead and turn to Matthew 9. And we've been going through the gospel according to Matthew. And last week we left off where Jesus is at a dinner party with a group of his disciples. And he's eating with tax collectors and he's, he's eating with sinners. And what happens is the Pharisees come up and say, how can Jesus be eating with sinners? Doesn't he know they're wicked, gross people? And Jesus says, this is who I came to save. And as Jesus is having this conversation, someone else barges into the door at the dinner table. And then someone else barges in after that. And someone else barges in after that. Because what's happening at this dinner party is actually some dinner and kingdom theater for what the kingdom of Christ is like. And that's what Jesus is going to show us today. So let's look at Matthew 9, beginning of verse 14. Or you can open your device and go there as well. So let's stand together, if you're able, for reading of God's word. And I want you to notice all of the thens and suddenly thens, because this is one long scene unfolding before our eyes. Verse 14. So as they're eating this meal, then John's disciples, John the Baptist, came to him saying, why do we in the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth, because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. And as he was telling them these things, suddenly, one of the leaders came in and knelt down before him, saying, My daughter just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she'll live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. Just then, a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached from behind and touched the end of his robe, for she said to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. Jesus turned and saw her. Have courage, daughter, he said. Your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well from that moment. And when Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute players and a crowd lamenting loudly, leave, he said, because the girl is not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. The news of this spread throughout the whole area. As as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men approached him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Then Jesus warned them sternly, Be sure that no one finds out. But they went out and spread the news about him about the whole area. And just as they were going out, a demon-possessed man who was unable to speak was brought to him. When the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowds were amazed, saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He drives out demons by the ruler of demons. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us as we look at your word to behold your son and what the kingdom is like so we learn how to live. 
Help us, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, if you could do anything, I love, I love this question that gets asked at like dinner tables. You know, Jesus is at a dinner party when the text opens. So it's, we're at, we have dinner parties, right? And you're, hey, if you could do anything for work, you could do anything for fun, and it didn't, didn't matter what it cost, didn't matter uh, anything in life, you, you could just do it, all factors considered and met. What would you want to do? And I love that question because it really gets to your, your hobbies and your interests. Um, like, I'm sure some of our jobs, some of us are probably, oh, we, yeah, that really is my hobby, really is my interest. Um, some of us, I bet, no, selling pipe is not my hobby that I'm so excited about. Or selling water, that's what my wife does. She sells water. I'm not, like, passionate about water. It's just what I do. So you ask those kinds of questions, and you kind of get to, yeah, what are your hobbies? So what would you do? Be a sports writer? Be a hiker? I love my wife, Natalie. Her answer is always the same. I would go to wedding receptions. That's it. That's what I would want to do. Like, that's not a job. I'd make it one. I'd be a wedding reception reviewer. That's what I would do. And here's why. They're fun, there's dancing, and there's cake. What a great job. No one is, no one has, no one is bored at a wedding reception. If it's a good wedding reception, there are, I've been to boring ones. But no, at a good wedding reception... It is fun. You do have fun dancing with your spouse and your kids, and you do have usually really good cake. And you know what Jesus says about that? That's what following me is like, a wedding reception, because my kingdom is actually a party of grace. Look at what Jesus says in, John, in Matthew 9, beginning in verse 14. So John the Baptist's disciples come up, and they, what do they say? They're sitting at this table, scribes, Pharisees, and now John's disciples come up and say, hey, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Rule number one, if you are ever in the same camp with the Pharisees, you don't want to be there. These guys are saying, hey, we and the Pharisees do this, your disciples don't. That should already tell you, okay, these guys are wrong. These guys aren't in the right space. And this has a little bit of an accusatory tone to it. We are, us and the Pharisees, we're serious. How come you guys eat and cheers? I, I don't get it. Why aren't you as spiritual as we are? And Jesus actually looks at them and says, you don't get it. Here's why. The kind of fasting they're talking about is a morning uh, kind of somber, we're going to get more in touch with spirituality by being sad and by not enjoying things kind of fasting. And Jesus says, my disciples don't need to do that right now. And here's why. Look, look at verse 15. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, and Jesus always does this. He takes the long way, the roundabout way. He gives them a little illustration. Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? You know why my disciples aren't in gloomy, doomy fasting? The groom's still here. We're still having the party. It's in full force. We're celebrating. This is not a time for gloom and doom. And I love this answer from Jesus because there are pockets of Christians, mostly Christians like us, that think seriousness is more godly than happiness. And that's not true. That we think being somber and dour, that's more godly than jovialness. That smiling is somehow anti-spiritual. Laughing is somehow anti-spiritual. Enjoying life is really not being clued into enjoying real life. And Jesus says it's wrong. 
My disciples take joy seriously. Cheers. And here's what we gotta remember about weddings in the first century. They are not like ours. Jewish weddings were not just a few hours on a Saturday with Ritz crackers and cheese cubes and maybe barbecue sliders. These weddings were all out parties. Seven days. You had to take off of work to go to a wedding. And it was an all-out party, seven days, a week of eating, having fun, dancing, drinking good wine, and enjoying and celebrating this new couple. And Jesus says, imagine someone fasting at that. You agreed to come to the wedding. You're here. And then they bring you, now this is not going to be kosher, we're just going to take it to our, they bring you filet mignon wrapped in bacon. Oh, this is tonight's dinner, filet wrapped in bacon, prepared it just for you. And, and imagine someone going, oh, I can't, I'm fasting right now. I'm, I'm in a moment of grief and uh, somberness for this moment. There's so much heartache in the world. Don't you know we could be praying right now instead of eating? Like buzzkill. That's what Jesus is saying. You guys are buzzkills. You guys are joy kills. No, you would not fast in that moment. You would partake. You would party. You would enjoy the good life that has been given in this celebration. And Jesus is really drawing something out for us that we must consider. See, the Christian life is defined by Jesus saying, my disciples are the wedding guests and I'm the groom. Jesus is defining the Christian life as one of celebratory love. As one of celebratory love of him giving himself for his bride, the church. By his death and resurrection from the dead, he's saying, I have given my love to you. This is why we take the Lord's Supper, eat and drink. It's a marriage supper. It's the rehearsal of the marriage supper of the Lamb to come. And what I love about Jesus giving us this analogy is that we gotta remember that the Christian life is more like a wedding party than it is a courtroom. A lot of us, think the Christian life is like constantly living in a courtroom, especially if you grew up in a very legalistic, very strict, uh, very um, intense, disciplined home, one that wasn't gracious but was very harsh. A lot of us think that's how our Father in heaven and how the kingdom of Christ is for us. It's, okay, no, don't make any sudden movements. Don't be too loud. You're going to get on Jesus' bad side. That's not the Christian life is way more like a wedding party and having the groom serve us fine wine at his party than living with a judge. And do you notice when Jesus calls himself? This is huge. What does Jesus call himself? The groom. Beloved, this is taking a ton of the Old Testament and Jesus freighting it in right to us right here. There are verses littered throughout the Old Testament of Yahweh, of God saying, I am like a husband to my people. People that are not my people, I will bring you in and I will wed you to myself and you will be mine and I will be yours. I will be your husband. You will be my bride. This is what the book of Hosea is all about. And Jesus now before us at this dinner party looks at his disciples and looks at us and says, the groom is here. And guess what? Death will not do us part. Actually, death will bring you and I together. My death, my resurrection, and your death with me on the cross. I will be yours and you will be mine. 
because he's going to bring sinners to himself. And we cheers and we celebrate his grace because that's what the kingdom of Christ does. Now, of course, there are times for us to be sad and grieve in the Christian life. But what Jesus is reminding us here is that where the story arcs, that the gospel is a story, is it, it is a good story with a happily ever after ending. Your story, it may be filled with pain and grief and cancer and death and heartache and depression and anxiety and fear and loss, but know where the story ends. It ends with a happily ever after ending, with you reigning and ruling with Christ forever in his kingdom. But we struggle to believe that. People right here in the text struggle to believe it. That's why the Pharisees say he's casting out demons by demons. That's how he's doing it. But Jesus is showing us, no, no, no. My kingdom is something new altogether. That's where he goes in verse 16, which is so confusing but let's think about it, okay? I'm sure you've read this and understood it for the first time, so maybe we don't need to, but let's read it again. 16. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth. Anybody do that this week? Anyone ever done that? Okay, so we gotta think about it. What is Jesus talking about? Let's keep reading. Because, why? The patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. Now, I'll be honest with you because my fear of man is low, but this is embarrassing. I have had many genes have a blowout. Um, I have large thighs, and my jeans can rip. Every pair of jeans I own, they are skinny jeans, whether they say skinny jeans on the label or not. Okay, and I've had a tear in my pants. And they were good pants. I liked them. I wanted to keep wearing them. They were comfortable, but I don't know how to fix these. We don't have a sewing kit at home. And uh, my mom happened to be over watching my kids one day, and I was about to throw them out. I was like, do you think you could fix these? And she's like, oh, yeah, let me see. She takes them home. She found some other piece of denim and put it on. But it wasn't the same kind of denim. And it looked okay for one or two wears, but after a wash and another wear, <laughs> again, why? It wasn't the same denim. It, wasn't, it hadn't gone through our washing machine and gone through our dryer. It wasn't that same kind of worn, pre-shrunk, gone through and wore denim like my other pants. So when it was put on, it ripped. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus bringing the kingdom isn't something we can just tack on to our way of life. Pharisees, like, you can't just tack me on. John's disciples, you can't just tack me on. I don't fit with your way of doing things. We tear. It's got to be something new altogether. That's where he goes, look at the wineskins. Look at 17. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Anyone do that this week? No. Okay, first of all, I think if we're honest, if you've ever read the word wineskins, have you ever thought, what in the world is that? I didn't know wine had skin. No, that's not what he's talking about. It's not like when you scramble eggs and you get the edge of egg skin on the pan. That looks weird. Wine doesn't get skins. Here's what Jesus is talking about. Back then, you aged wine in leather pouches. Uh, they didn't use barrels. They had leather pouches, animal skins. And so you would put new wine into a new leather pouch, and what happens? Chemistry happens. The wine off-gasses and expands. Those, that leather skin expands, and it's ready over time. So if you put new wine that's going to expand 
and you fill it in a container that's already been expanded to the max. It, it can't expand anymore. An old wineskin, what's going to happen? Jesus says, it rips. It can't be pushed anymore. You need something new. New wine goes into new wineskins. This is what Jesus is saying. I am the new wine. You can't force me into your way of doing things, Pharisees. You can't force me into your way of doing things, John's disciples. Don't you see? I am not something that you can just put into the old way of doing stuff. This is what the book of Hebrews is all about. I am something new altogether. I don't fit your mold. I am bringing the kingdom of God with me, and it is going to unfold in full force right before your eyes. Behold, I am going to make all things new. And that's what Jesus does next for the rest of the passage. The rest of the passage is Jesus putting the kingdom of God on display. So hang with me. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching, this is what the kingdom is like. It's like this, it's like this, it's like this. Now in the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, it is the kingdom of God not just announced verbally, but announced in animation. Here's what it looks like. Me healing, me redeeming, me saving, me calling people to live in unity. And watch how it unfolds. We'll hit these high points and we'll be done. And Look at how it unfolds. So look at verse, verse 18. Jesus is still talking about wine. He's giving a, a uh, he's talking about the techniques for aging wine and what happens. As he was telling them these things, verse 18, suddenly one of the leaders came. This is Jairus. He's a synagogue leader. The other gospels tell us, knelt down before him saying, my daughter just died. You can come and save her. This dinner party just changed, didn't it? It went from debates and discussions about all things, Jesus talking about the techniques of aging wine, and all of a sudden, a dad rushes in. The scribes are there, Pharisees are there, John's disciples are there, Jesus and his disciples. He kneels before Jesus. My daughter died. Will you save her? I know you can. You just grab her by the hand and she'll live. Jesus has been talking a lot about the kingdom, and now the kingdom's gonna be put on display. And Jesus gets up and says, let's go. That's verse 19. So Jesus' disciples got up and followed him. You gotta imagine being this father. You gotta see the faith of each person in, in this text. This is showing you what the kingdom of God is like, what it means to be a Christian. This father is desperate. Nowhere else to turn. And he's heard about Jesus, heard what Jesus has done, and he runs to Jesus, and on their way there to go meet his daughter, someone else desperate comes up. Look, verse 20. Just then, do you see all these just thens? Just then, this is one long event unfolding. Just then, a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. And she said to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. Think about this woman now. For 12 years, she had suffered with menstrual bleeding. If that's not discouraging enough, she would now be considered unclean from her community. Excommunicated. She could not sit in a place like this today. She could not have been romantically involved with a man for at least 12 years. She couldn't even have hugged anybody. She couldn't have been hugged. She couldn't even sat in someone's house on their furniture because she would make them unclean according to customs. But she's desperate. 
She's desperate and she has faith. So that's what we're seeing so far. A father in desperation, a woman in desperation, when they have faith and when desperation and faith collide, atomic things happen. She humbly and boldly goes up to Jesus and just says, if I could just touch just the fringe of his robe, I'll be fixed. I know it. She does. And in the other gospel account, it says Jesus turns around and says, I felt power come out of me. Who touched me? And the disciples go, bro, we're in a massive crowd. Everyone's touching you. He's, I don't mean like that. I mean in faith. He turns around and sees the woman, and look at what Jesus says to her. 22, Jesus turned and saw her. Have courage, daughter, he said. Your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well. Where else have we heard Jesus say, have courage? At the beginning of chapter 9, to the paralytic, have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus isn't made unclean by her uncleanness. She couldn't touch anyone, but she touches Jesus because she knows I'm not gonna mess him up if I go to him. He's gonna fix me. And the same thing is true of everyone in this room. Jesus is not made unclean by you going to him. He does not back away when you go to him. He doesn't touch and handle our sins with gloves on his hands. He handles our sins with nails in his hands. And when he heals these guys that are blind at the end of the passage, they, uh, their eyes would have been disgusting and had stuff and pus and all things all over them. And Jesus does what? He touches their eyes. He's not grossed out by sin or the effects of sin. He goes up and puts his hands right on their eyes. And he goes and sees this little girl that's now a corpse and grabs her hand. Jesus is not at a safe distance away from us and our sins. He goes right up to us. I wonder if some of us just need to be a little more desperate and go to Jesus. Like this father, like this woman, like these blind men, like this demon-possessed man. And we'll see what happens. Look at verse 23. So Jesus comes into the leader's house. He saw the flute players and a crowd lamenting loudly. This little girl has died, and they've already hired the professional mourners. This is standard protocol. People you bring in hire to, to lament, to grief, to show your grief as well. But remember what Jesus said at the beginning of this passage? Who is here? The groom is still here. There's no need for mourning. There's no need for gloom. So that's what Jesus says. Get the flute players out of here. Get the mourners out of here. We don't need them here. The groom is here. So the, the mourners, the flute players, they get out, and Jesus tells everyone else to leave except my disciples, except the dad. Everyone else get out. And then what? Jesus grabs the little girl by the hand. She lives. It's easy to read this and keep moving. Like, you should be blown away. If you're not blown away, you don't get it. Let's imagine you're at a funeral, Klein Funeral Home. You had a funeral for a niece of yours that died, our family friend, little girl that died. You're there mourning, grieving. And all of a sudden, this guy comes in with 12 of his buddies. You've never seen them. And he says, everybody get out. Man, who are you? Get out. All right, we're going anyways. You know, and you get out. But what? You're all looking through that little rectangular glass in the door. 
what is this guy doing? He walks over to the casket, flips it open, grabs the little girl by the hand, rubs her hand, smiles at her. And the other gospels say that he says to this little girl, Talitha kum, little girl, get up. You hear him say, little girl, get up. And then all of a sudden, if you were there, you would fall back from the door. What is happening? What are we seeing? This is why the whole crowd responds at the end of this passage in verse 33. Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. This is Jesus saying, I am the new wine. You've never seen anything like me before. Drink up. And whoever drinks of me will never be thirsty again. Whoever eats of me will never hunger again. Eat my flesh and drink my blood and you will have everlasting life. The the girl rises from the dead. We've been with Jesus now for nine chapters in this book. Has anything stumped Jesus yet? Has anything been brought to Jesus' feet where he goes, oh, I don't know about that one. Calming a storm, no problem. Casting out demons, no problem. Saving sinners like Matthew, no problem. Raising a little girl from the dead, no problem. Nothing has been too big for Jesus yet in this book, and nothing ever will be. Nothing will stump him. So, why don't you go to Jesus faster in your life? Why don't we go to Jesus sooner? We are constantly in over our heads. I don't know what to do with my job. I don't know what to do with the situation in my family. I don't know what to do with my teenager. I don't know what to do with my marriage. I don't know what to do with my financial problem. I don't know what to do with my anxiety, my depression, my addictions. I don't know what to do. And we just sit and we just stew and we sink. And Jesus is saying all along, come to me. I am the stumpless Savior. Come to me. When's the last time you went to Jesus in desperation? What do you need to bring to Jesus today? Knowing all along who he really is. The blind men say it. Look at verse 27. So these blind guys, as Jesus raises this girl from the dead, he walks out and what? And then... As he's going on, it's still unfolding. Two blind men follow him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. This is massive, guys. Son of David, this is the title to be used for the Messiah, the one who would reign and rule over Israel and all the nations and all God's people forever from David's line. And this is the first time it's used of Jesus in the New Testament. And who uses it? Two blind guys. These guys see what no one else is seeing. Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is it. He's the one we need. Have mercy on us, son of David. Do you see what they see? Is that why you're here today? Have mercy on me, son of David. Some of us come here, have mercy on me, church. Have mercy on me, Bible. Have mercy on me, feelings that I get in a worship service. That is not Christianity. Have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus is the real deal. 
And do you see what these blind men see? Are you floored by Jesus? These blind guys are. The crowd that sees Jesus raise this girl from the dead, the whole crowd that sees Jesus cast out this demon-possessed man, they are all blown away. And here's what I'm convinced about in Christianity now. After spending so much time with this book, I am really wondering if we are floored by Jesus or we're bored by Jesus. That, that is really it. And I do think, sadly, just a lot of us are bored by Jesus. And that is blasphemy. After reading this book, just nine chapters in now, I feel like one of Matthew's goals for us, because he keeps showing us the crowd's reaction. Why? You could know Jesus did all these things without hearing the crowd's reaction. Why does Matthew include the crowd's reaction? Because he wants to know your reaction. Are you floored by Jesus? It feels like Matthew's goal for us is to be in awe of Jesus and then respond and live accordingly. That's it. That you would live, that you would be in awe of Jesus and then live accordingly. I think this is the sum of the Christian life. That you would be in awe of who Jesus is and live accordingly in every situation. It doesn't matter what it is. You'd be in awe of Jesus and live accordingly. Of him being God in the flesh, dying for your sins, rising from the dead, and inviting you to live with him as a co-heir of the universe and follow him, live accordingly. Think about the book of Acts. What is it? It is the early church being in awe of Jesus and living accordingly. Planting churches, evangelizing, living boldly. Why is Jessica going to Japan? She's in awe of Jesus and living accordingly. That's what the book of Romans is. That's what every book of the New Testament is. Being in awe of Jesus and how to live accordingly. We turn from sin in our own lives because we're in awe of Jesus and we're living accordingly. We love our neighbors because we're in awe of Jesus and we live accordingly. We tell people about Jesus, we read the Bible, we pray, we do good works. Why? Because that's what Christians do. No! Because we're in awe of who Jesus is. And so we just live accordingly. We're learning here what it means to be in the kingdom. To be in the kingdom of Christ and have Christ be our king. Because that's what each of these stories is. Each of these stories is the kingdom on display and animation. Now, no longer just in Sermon on the Mount. Now it's being lived out before our eyes. And think about what Jesus does. Who does he heal first? Two women. This is huge. Two women who in their society would be forgotten. A woman with the issue of blood, who cares? Jesus cares. A little girl died, so what? No, it is something to Jesus. And not only that, that they're two women, but they're also both unclean. Woman with the issue of blood, you don't, you don't touch that, you don't deal with that. A corpse, you don't touch a corpse in Israel. Jesus says, I'll be fine. I can fix them. I can make them clean. Jesus breaks through their uncleanness. He breaks through the effects of sin. And now, not only that, but now blind men see. And the one that was deaf and mute, you see in 32, this demon had possessed this guy. He couldn't speak or hear. The demon's kicked out, and now the guy speaks and hears. You know why all this is happening? This is not, this is not shotgunned miracles from Jesus. Oh, that just kind of worked out. Healing this one, rising this one, fixing the paralytic, doing that. No, no, no. Jesus is announcing the kingdom and, and 3D animation. 
Because Isaiah prophesied about the kingdom of God this way in Isaiah 35. Say to the cowardly. What did Jesus say to the cowardly? Have courage. Your sins are forgiven. Have courage. Your faith has made you well. Isaiah says, say to the cowardly. Be strong. Do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. Then look. The eyes of the blind will be opened. Two blind men see. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. He cast out the demon of the one who was making the man deaf. The lame will leap like a deer. Get up, paralytic. Take your mat and walk. And the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Do you see? These aren't just, oh, that's kind of cool that Jesus did these things. No, Jesus is showing you, I am the new wine. I have brought the new kingdom, and now come to me. The kingdom's here. All these miracles are power surges of what's going to happen in eternity, just like in Monsters, Inc. You know what happens in Monsters, Inc.? When they learn that they get more power from laughter and joy than they get from gloomy fasting and fear? When they figure that out, what happens? Boom, power surges. They, need, they can't use the old wineskin containers anymore. They gotta get bigger containers. Jesus is showing them, just like in Monsters Inc., there's something new here, and it's too powerful. And now this new wineskin isn't just this new wine, isn't just something you can tape onto your life. Jesus is not just an addition to your life. Jesus is a complete takeover, a complete transformation, a complete renewal. And just like that new wine expands those wineskins, Jesus now, by the Spirit, when he comes to live in us, he doesn't just make us the best version of ourselves. He makes us expanded and new and different and resurrected altogether new. For behold, I am making all things new. We do not come to church so we can just be a better version of ourselves this next week. We come to church to remember that we have been raised from the dead by the Son of God. And we are new people living in a new kingdom, living towards a new place with the Savior. Because one day, not just one person will be raised from the dead, but millions will raise from the dead at the sound of a trumpet. And we'll have new bodies, no more deaf. Not just two blind guys will be healed, Billions will be healed, restored, new life. If you trust Jesus as the King of Kings, Son of David, the groom of grooms, what's your response to Jesus? Go to him, walk with him, follow him. If he's made you clean, if he's raised you to new life, if he's caused you to see, and if he's made you able to speak, follow him. You see the glory, speak it. Take and eat, cheers, for we're now in the kingdom of Christ. Let's pray together. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.